Good morning, everybody. It is a very special weekend, and we're just so glad that you're here. Um, last night was a tremendous, tremendous service, just such a powerful presence of God, and um, I believe we baptized about 20 people last night. So am, I, am I right? About 20? Yeah, this morning we'll be baptizing, um, I believe, eight or nine people, and then the second service at 11 o'clock, we have another 16 people that are being baptized. So, praise God. I hope we understand the significance of what it means to be baptized. Thank you. My lovely bride is back. Doing good. Amen. Did you open this already? Oh, thank you. Wow. So, um, how many of you come from a Catholic background? We're in the Northeast. When we went to Bible school, you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, you don't find, t I, I think we were shocked when we found one Catholic church in the area uh, because it's mostly Protestant, but we would call Protestant churches, not Catholic churches. And so uh, many times you, people that come from that background don't understand a Catholic mindset. And I want to address that this morning for a little bit before we get into the message about baptism. Baptism is an extremely important thing. But unfortunately, those of us that come from the Catholic background, we never really grasped the reality of what it means to be baptized until you come out of that, um, that system of belief. Because it's automatic, you know. How many of you remember when you didn't take a baby out of the house until after they were baptized? How many remember that one? So there's so much, there's a lot of superstitious stuff, a lot of tradition, man's tradition attached to that. And so you have a baby, and somehow within the next month or so, you're expected to have a baptism. The child has no say in the matter. You can pretty much dunk them all you want or <laughs> sprinkle them all you want, and the baby doesn't have a say in the matter. But it's an exciting time for the parents, and it's an opportunity for a party and for gifts and for goodies and stuff like that. And so, unfortunately, I think some of that mindset we haven't realized carries over into our born-again experience. And so um, we're serious when it comes to baptism. That's why we have a class that we ask all of the uh, potential baptism candidates to attend. Um, because you just, you can't teach on water baptism every week, right? You just can't. So, and it's an extremely important part of our journey as being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? This is a command that he gave us but we're not supposed to just do it because it's an exciting thing, or we're not supposed to just do it because you know everybody else is doing it, or uh, I think it's fun. Because, see, and there's parts of the world that when you participate in being water baptized, which is supposed to be a public confession, you have a death sentence put on your life. Here, it's an occasion for celebration, and it should be. But let's not forget that for most of the Christian world, to come out publicly and declare your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ 
you pretty much put a target on your back. Okay, and I hope I'm not putting a damper on this occasion this morning. It's just, I get concerned sometimes because I feel like we have a lack of reverence for some of these things. Even for communion. Now, those of us that came out of a Catholic background, communion's a big deal for us. Okay? Um, I know my wife's background, she, she was raised Lutheran, and uh, when I first, first time I ever went to church with her and her family, um, I was like, you guys get to drink out of the cup? You guys, you guys get little cups? How many of you get, went to a Protestant church where you had the little glass cups with the, the juice or the wine? Well, they had wine, right? No? So, see, those of you that, you know where I'm coming from, the priest was the one who drank the wine. We, all we got was bread. <laughs> And so when I came to understand the significance of communion, of the body and the blood, I was like, what's the deal with this? They withheld the blood from us all those years. And so coming into this born-again experience, communion, uh, I believe we should make a big deal over it. We should, it should be something that we approach with reverence when you truly understand what Jesus has accomplished. And I pray that this morning that those of you that are here to support your family members who are being baptized, those of you who are being baptized, would you stand up so we know who you are? Those of you that are here this morning that's going to get baptized. Okay. Thank you. We, we salute you guys. We salute you all. Um, this is an important thing. And let's approach it with reverence. Let's just not do it to do it. Just like when we have our communion Sundays. Now, we don't do communion here in every service because it's supposed to be special. We set aside a specific day. Uh, usually it's once every other month, but when we do take communion, we dedicate the entire service to communion so that our hearts are prepared when we're gonna take communion together. Amen? Amen? Because Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's supposed to be a, a special thing. Well, he said this is an important part of this, taking a step to become a disciple now, we got many believers, but there's a step where you step out from just being a believer and become a disciple, and I believe water baptism is that first step of actually progressing towards and walking as a disciple on the earth. There's a difference. A disciple is a follower. A disciple, literally in ancient times, the understanding of disciple was somebody who clings to the teacher. And that's why you see the original 12 disciples, they're not just showing up to be with Jesus. They practically lived together with him, traveled with him, because that's what it meant to be a disciple. You sat at the feet. You participated life with that individual that you have attached yourself to. Amen? So... Uh, in order to prepare our hearts, I want to share some things that maybe we can understand a little bit more about those that are taking this step today. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're not being baptized, or maybe you came in and didn't know we were having baptismal, a baptism service today, please, I hope you don't take the stance on the inside of like, well, I could have just stayed home today. Because so many do. Don't fall into that trap. Because you see, for those individuals that stood up back there, 
you're the audience, you're the people that they're giving witness to. And if you weren't here, they could not fulfill that command of the Lord Jesus Christ to be baptized publicly. It's something to be celebrated. It's something that uh, you should consider it an, an honor to be here to participate in what's going on in their lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, everything can't always be about us. Amen. I'll say it again. <laughs> everything can't always be about us. So, all right. There are two portions of Scripture that I believe can be described as the doorway into the New Testament. What does that mean? These are two concepts that when they, uh, when they, these are two milestones that when these things took place, it made a distinct separation between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, most of what we call the Bible, most of it, it's not split in half, just because, you know, you open your Bible and, well, it's Old Testament, New Testament. But there's a whole lot more Old Testament than there is New Testament. Did you realize that? It's like, like 66% to 33%. Um, and there's a reason for that, because all of the foundations of what we claim to believe are found in the Old Testament. Um, recently, we had the very first meeting of our uh, entrepreneurs a faith group, which is a group uh, that meets uh, with the uh, purpose of ministering to people that are in the professional uh, uh, real estate, attorneys, uh, people that are in high pressure, anyone who's in management, anyone who's self-employed, people that are in high pressure jobs. And so in sharing just a, a little bit there, uh, I said to the individuals there, do we realize, and I don't know if we realize this as New Testament believers, that all of the principles that pertain to prosperity, to pertain, that pertain to God's promises for us to prosper on this earth, almost 99% of them are in the Old Testament. So, so if you're not basing your foundations and including the New Testament teachings there, you're going to be out of whack. You're going to be, you know, well, I believe New Testament, Old Testament's over with. Uh, well, Jesus didn't believe it was over with. Jesus fulfilled it, but he didn't trash it. And there are a lot of principles that we need to operate in that. And so um, when these two particular portions of Scripture, they're going to go into the first one is in the Gospel of John, John chapter 19. It's actually what took place at the crucifixion. These scriptures and these principles kind of like form the threshold from the old covenant into the new covenant. Now, we live in the new covenant, yes? yes. Okay, but it's based on the old covenant. See, I don't know that anybody of the original writers, Paul, John, Peter, James, Luke, well, Luke wasn't there really for Jesus' ministry. I, don't, I think when we, when we get to heaven, we sit down with them and say, did you guys realize you were writing the New Testament? And go, no. Because the early church, all the early church really had was the Old Testament. But they recognized, wow, this is a fulfillment now. And now we can walk in 
what Jesus purchased, what the Messiah purchased for us. So John chapter 19, verse 30, this took place at the cross. And when they had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Okay, that it is finished, and many of you probably have heard this teaching before, is a Greek word. Now, give me a second here, because I don't know why I have a hard time with this particular word. Tetelestai. How'd I do? Tetel- Let's do it. Let's say it a couple of times. Tetelestai. 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 So when Jesus was at the cross, of course, he didn't say it in Greek, but it's recorded for us in Greek, because that was the international language back then, um, the hearers understood perfectly why he used this word, tetelestai. Um, if you, and now we do everything electronically, and you, know, you can get service and stuff, something done at your house, and then they say, well, we'll email you or text you or whatever, we'll send you the, the receipt. But it wasn't that long ago that when you purchased something and you paid for it and you signed off, you asked them for a receipt and they would give you a receipt, and they would stamp it with a phrase. To Talistai. Paid in full. So the people in the early church, when they first read this gospel of John, they understood exactly what what this meant. Jesus took care of it all. This is something that they were very familiar with. Uh, Andrew Womack says this about this particular subject here. If you don't know who he is, go look him up. He's a tremendous Bible teacher. Our sins, past, present, and future were forgiven through one offering of Jesus. Now, we know that from Hebrews chapter 10 and 11. If God can't forgive future tense sins, then none of us can be saved. Think about it. Because when Jesus died on the cross, everything about us was in the future. You getting that? Because Jesus only died once, nearly 2,000 years ago, before we had committed any sins, before all of our sins had been forgiven to Palestine. All paid for. Okay, now that was a brand new concept, and the Old Testament did not exist. Because the Old Testament is always looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Everything's looking forward to the future. Nothing is permanent. Okay? So, let me read you the other scripture. The second one I want to read to you is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation. All things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Reconciled. Remember these words. New creation. Reconciled. That is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling, here it is again, reconciling the world. In other words, bridging the gap, eliminating, eliminating the distance between us not imputing their trespasses to them. Why? Why would God no longer be imputing our trespasses against us because he took them and put them on Jesus? You getting this? That's what these people are coming here to declare their faith in and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might or should become the righteousness of God in him. That is a completely unknown concept in the Old Testament. 
These are the scriptures that make the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. See, in the Old Covenant, you can bring sacrifices to the temple all day long. Slaughter millions of animals. Now, your sin would be covered, but you wouldn't be a new creation. Are you getting this? Yes. Understand the difference. Okay? Because there's a lot of people that are trying to accomplish something under religion that cannot be accomplished under religion. It can only be accomplished in relationship. Amen. Is reconciliation towards God. Okay? In the Old Testament, your sin got covered for one year. And every year, in what we call the fall, you'd have to go back, slaughter another animal, and have that blood cover you for one year. Expiration date, one year. But nobody walked away from the temple born again. Nobody walked away from that sacrifice of new creation. You still had the same heart, same nature. You're still a sinner. That's a big difference from the New Testament. And that's why when a person gets baptized, they are fully acknowledging that they totally understand that they, through the declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have become a new creation, that not, not a reupholstered one, but a brand new creation in Christ. Amen. That is an awesome thing for somebody to experience. And for those of us that have experienced it, we realize that. But who caused all this? Who brought this to pass? It's not that all of a sudden one day we decided that we're going to clean our act up and then God's going to treat us nicer because now we're doing nice things and we're nice people and we're goody two-shoes. It's because of Jesus. He completed his mission to come to earth, to reveal the Father, to die in our place so that our sin would no longer separate us from God. It's his love. So once I believe in Jesus, I'm a new creation, and my sins are no longer imputed or no longer held against me because they were put on him. And God did something that changed the course of, of human history. He unleashed his mo most powerful weapon on sin, and that powerful weapon is his love. Jesus, because of love, bowed down and took the cruel punishment that our sin deserved and opened the door to God's heart for us. Now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, sin has been paid for to talisty, paid in full, taken care of. Now, imagine for a minute, let me just, I want to just spend two seconds or a couple, couple of seconds on this here. How many of you were here last weekend? How many of you heard the testimony from, from Bill Weiss about spending 23 minutes in hell and experiencing the realities of hell and the nightmare that a person experiences in hell and the worst nightmare of now spending the rest of eternity knowing, fully understanding that there was no reason for you to go there except for the fact that you rejected Jesus Christ. That even the sins that you carried through life had already been paid for, and all you needed to do was acknowledge that they were paid for and wouldn't have to end up in that place. Dear God, what a nightmare 
when a human being falls into hell. You imagine the torment from the enemy. I remember hearing another person's testimony that went to hell. Was allowed to go there, thank God, was allowed to come back. And said there were certain demons, certain creatures, I don't want to, certain creatures. We don't know exactly what these creatures are. Certain creatures that all they did was torment the person, curse them, and say, you're, you're blankety blank blank, you didn't have to come here, but you did. You could have taken advantage of salvation, but you didn't, and now you're here with us for all of eternity. Could you imagine the nightmare? That alone should prompt us to reach out to anybody that God puts in our path. And just like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we implore you, be reconciled to God so you don't end up in that place. I know this makes people feel uncomfortable, I know that, and that's why a lot of places you can go there for years and years and years and never hear the word hell mentioned. But hell is a reality, and none of us need to go there. Jesus suffered and died for us so that we would have an option, that we'd be able to get off of that conveyor belt that's heading to hell. You don't have to do anything. There's this misconception here, and then I'll get back to my notes, okay? There's this misconception that I've come across a few times recently with individuals. This idea that possibly we are born with a blank slate. And then where we end up for eternity is going to depend on what we do. No, no, no. We are all born going to hell. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. All you have to do is be born. But you have to do something to get off that conveyor belt. And that is, declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Put your trust in the fact that he shed his blood as payment for our sins. So we can get off that conveyor belt and not end up automatically just, boom, in hell. Please keep that in mind. Love was the weapon of warfare that God used to defeat the enemy. It's the best weapon. Why? Because it's totally foreign to the devil. The devil has no concept of love. The devil has no concept of what it's like to, to experience it, but also has no concept of what it's like to offer it to anyone else. It's unheard of, okay? He can't comprehend that kind of love that would have caused Jesus to go to the cross. He can't comprehend that. The enemy of our soul neither knows love nor comprehends love because there's none in him. Now listen. This is the reason why love does not come automatically for us. And this is the reason that our unregenerate souls need to, we, our unregenerate souls are always going to lead toward, lean towards the enemy. If flesh has very little trouble falling for temptation, in fact, it's harder for us to just rally our souls and say, no, we're not going to fall into that. No, we're not going to go conduct us. No, we're not going to say that. We're not going to think that. We're not going to get involved in that thing because we know it's sin. It's very easy for us to lean towards the enemy. And that's why in the New Testament especially, what phrase do you hear over and over again? Love one another. 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 So going, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Next page. Love one another. Love one another. Next book. Love one another. Love one another. Let everything be done with love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple. Why? Why do you have to be constantly told something? It's the same reason why you had to constantly tell your kids to go brush their teeth. 
Constantly tell them to go wash their hands before they sit down to eat food because it doesn't come natural. And so we have to be told over and over again, love one another. That love just overwhelmed the enemy, not in a good sense, confounded him. Confounded him. That's like the devil himself did not realize what was happening at the cross. The devil, as deluded and delusional and deceived as he is, thought, I got him. I have eliminated the Messiah. There is no hope anymore for this world. Did not comprehend that kind of love. God's love overwhelms our sin and makes it powerless. God's love looks beyond our sin and unto Jesus. God does not identify us with sin, but with Jesus. His love smothered our sin, smothered it to the point of suffocating it so that sin has no longer the power on us that it had at one point in time. Now, our goal is, and I direct this to the people that are being baptized this morning, our goal is to distance ourselves and to disentangle ourselves from sin more and more and more. Just because we got born again doesn't mean that we don't have the capacity for sin. If anything, I think we're much more aware of sin after you get born again than you were before because you sin before you sin. It's your nature. It's just the way it is. Your spirit was dead, so you really didn't have any recognition that, oh, what I just did was sin. And that's why we say dumb things like, well, everybody's doing it. Oh, oh so that makes it okay. So... Our goal now is to distance ourselves, to disentangle ourselves more and more from sin. Why? Because now we have the power to do that, which we did not have before. Amen. That's right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Amen. Disentangle. This is the command we're receiving. Disentangle yourself from sin. Understand that because of Jesus, sin doesn't have the power to send us to hell anymore. All it could do is harass us here while we're on earth. Trip us up. Tangles our feet so that we can't run with endurance the race that's set before us. Verse 2 tells us how we're going to do that. It's not because all of a sudden when you got born again, you received new willpower. No, if anything, we, receive, we, we understand. We receive the understanding of rest of reality that I can't do these things on my own. That's right. So, verse 2 tells us how we're going to do it. How are we going to disentangle ourselves? How are we going to stop the obstacles that are hindering us from fulfilling God's plan in our life? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is Jesus today? Right hand of God. Right hand where? Of God where? And what's in heaven? Where is he seated? On a throne. So there's a throne room in heaven. Amen? Amen? So, when you receive an audience with the king, you are summoned to where? The throne room. And that's where you and I find the power to stay free from sin. Amen? Amen? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Here we go. Maybe now this... This will open up a little bit more to us. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows what it's like to live on this earth. Jesus knows what it's like to have a flesh body. Jesus knows what it's like 
to be tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to have to deal with things in our minds. Yet, without sin. Verse 16, remember, now we're coming into the throne room where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy for our past, grace to empower us for our future. It's all there. Amen. Amen. But you got to hang out with the king. Amen. We have to abide in him. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? See, because our natural tendency is, okay, I sinned, I messed up, Okay, so the next step is punishment from God. Have you ever been taken back by the fact that you know you sinned, you know you did something you shouldn't have done, and you're now like, like when your mother said, wait till your father gets home? <laughs> so, you, so you spend the rest of the day or time or whatever in that mode of something's coming. Because we think God's like us. So we're waiting for the consequence. And then you turn around and some blessing takes place that you weren't expecting because you're expecting consequence. You're expecting to have to run and hide like Adam did. So now you start constructing fig leaves in your mind, justifications. And then so now the enemy, watch this now. Watch how slick the enemy is. Now the enemy comes in and brings a consequence and you say, God's punishing me for what I did. How unjust. Because this scripture tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, not punishment. Jesus took the punishment. Are you, did you get that? Jesus took the place. It's not that there's it's not that God goes, all right, I'm stopping, no more consequences. No. He took all the consequences and put them on Jesus. So that you and I could go free. That, that doesn't sound fair, Pastor. No. By our standards, it's not fair. But love isn't fair. Love goes beyond, above and beyond. The scripture here in the New Living Translation goes on to say, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? James chapter 2 verse 13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God for his mercy. Church, thank God for his mercy. Some of us are still walking on this earth because of the mercy of God. Not because we got our act together and we're doing so well. It's the mercy of God. Because God is merciful, God is love, God is compassionate, his mercy is much more powerful in bringing change than judgment would be. And he knows that. But there's a realm of the love of God that most people on earth never experience because it can only be experienced with an encounter with Jesus. It's the only time you can experience it. Because he is the physical demonstration of God's love. A person receives God's free gift of love and life by placing faith in Jesus Christ. With our hearts, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for us, that God raised him from the grave. And when we make that declaration, 
church. That's when Jesus Christ becomes our Savior. He is the one. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of this world. He is the Lamb of God. And when we place our faith and trust in the fact that that's who he is and we believe that that's who he is and we believe that he accomplished that, all that's left is a declaration of faith. And then our spirit, which has been dead, comes alive unto God. His spirit comes to live in our spirit. And now we can say we are children of God. Amen? Amen. We're not admitted into heaven based on our good deeds. These people that are coming to be baptized here in just a couple of minutes, they're not coming here thinking, well, I'm doing this good deed, so God's going to let me into heaven. No, I'm doing this to show outwardly what I have come to believe inwardly. You know, we can't always go on, know what's going on in a person's life. You can't just observe sometimes. There are some people that you can read them really well. But for the most part, most of us, we know how to put on a good front. We know how to conduct ourselves in such a way where we make it seem like everything is okay. Now, if we're not careful, stuff will seep out if we don't deal with it. But for the most part, we spend our lives trying to earn Academy Awards for acting. We want to act like we've got everything together. But Jesus knows. And thank God he receives us apart from the masks, apart from the image. So we're not admitted to heaven based on our good deeds, but based on the fact that Christ took our place, the godly for the ungodly, for he who knew no sin became sin that you and I could become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. So that when God looks at the born-again believer, he sees Jesus. Are you listening? Now, I'm not proposing that Jesus is some fat little bald-headed guy. (laughs) What I'm proposing is he sees our nature, the new nature, that you and I cannot attain by trying to get our act together and clean up our act. It's impossible. He sees right through that. So nature has to change. And the only way nature changes, a person's nature changes, is through the born-again experience. Very quickly. Some of us might be guilty of this. I know I've met people over the years. Oh, so so you're a Christian? Yeah. Oh, are you a born-again Christian? Well, what other kind is there? Are you listening to me? Because in our humanistic thinking, we took that and made that a sect of Christianity. But Jesus made it very clear. The only way to become a Christian is to be born again. So you either, so the real question should be, are you born again or are you not? Are you born again? Or have you taken on the religion of Christianity? You get what I'm saying? In other words, you can't be a Christian without going through the process of receiving Christ, placing your faith in him, your trust in him. 
understanding fully that he paid in full for all of your sin and that there's nothing now standing in the way between you and God except your declaration of faith. Are you, are you listening? Yes. So, you know, you hear jokes sometimes. The person went to heaven and they saw all these different groups and, and the angel supposedly, I don't believe this is true, but the joke is told. The angel went around and said, oh, those are the Methodists and those are the Baptists and those are the Pentecostals and these are the um, whatever. And, and the person said, well, who are, what's in that tent, that little black tent there? He goes, oh, well, that's the Catholics because they think they're the only ones that are here. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is this. Of course, you can turn the joke around any way you want. You can put anybody in there. But the joke is this, okay? In heaven, there is no denomination. There are no, there's no Baptists, there's no Episcopalians, there's no Presbyterians, there's no Methodists, there's no Pentecostals, there's no Catholics, there's no Orthodox, there's no, it's all born again people. So if you want to get in, there's no tent in there. Jesus said you must be born again. Your spirit must come alive unto God Almighty or there's no access there. He's not looking for religious people. He's looking for lost people. Are you, are you getting this? So, before we have the baptismal people come up, I want us to make this confession together. What's a confession? A confession is to say the same as. It's to declare something. And I want us all to do this together because there are some of you here that came to a conclusion today based on some of the things that we just talked about. You're seeing things differently now. Maybe you're understanding a little more clearly. What does it mean? You hear about all these born-agains. These born- are you a born-again? Yeah. <laughs> are you one of them born-agains? Yeah. Maybe you're understanding it a little bit differently now. So why don't we do this? Why don't we all stand up? Let's all make this confession. Let's make this declaration by faith. Amen? Amen. Say this with me, please. Dear God, God, I confess that I am a sinner. And I know I cannot save myself. I I believe by faith faith that Jesus, Jesus, your son, died on the cross cross to be my savior savior. I believe he arose from the grave grave to live as my Lord Lord. I turn from my sin I I ask you Lord Jesus Jesus, to forgive my sin sin. and to come into my heart I trust you you as my savior savior. and I receive you you as my Lord Thank you, Jesus, Jesus, for saving me. me. I pray this in your name. name. Amen. Amen. Didn't that feel good? Didn't that feel good? Amen. All right, be seated. So here we are now. Everybody in this room has had the opportunity to make that declaration of faith. I am by faith going to consider all of you born again. Amen. 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 It's too easy. 
Of course it's easy. He knows us. If he made it any more difficult than this, we'd screw the whole thing up. (laughs) It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about submitting to him. So, Jesus gave us a command before he left to go back to heaven. Matthew 28, 19, therefore, go therefore and make disciples. Disciples. Say disciples. Disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. There's the beginning of the process. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The New Testament baptism is a baptism of identifications. We get this question all the time. Well, Pastor, do I have to get baptized in water now because I was baptized when I was a baby? Yes, because now you've been born again. You're a new creation in Christ. When you were a baby, you had no say in the matter. Baptism now is a matter of you and I making a choice from our free will to want to be identified. You ever notice that most infant baptisms are more like an exorcism? We're sprinkling water, we're putting oil, we're throwing salt on them. I've seen it all. <laughs> Binding the devil, renouncing the devil, and this baby's like. <laughs> the child has no say in the matter. You had no say in the matter. I always throw this out. The baptism was so important as an infant. Hitler got baptized. What went wrong there? Now, if you were baptized as a child, as an infant, okay? It's fine. Your parents did that because they they believed that that was going to be something good for you. But now you've come to the knowledge of the truth. Now it's up to you to make the free choice to be baptized, to receive Christ. So now, this this isn't a baptism of repentance or a baptism of whatever. This is a baptism of identification. And that's why we do it the way the Bible describes it, with full immersion. Because it's the death burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, these individuals that are going to come, and you guys that are getting baptized, you can line up over here against the wall. You can get up and line up over here. Okay? So, so they're identifying now. They are declaring to us that at some point, whether it was last week or 10 years ago, they made a decision to follow Christ. Now, you can't see that from the outside, that when that decision was made, You couldn't tell that, okay? But this now is a means of identification. That's why it's so important for those of you that not yet been water baptized, you need to be. Now, what do I have on my finger here? What kind of ring? What does it identify me as? Married man. She made sure. (laughs) When we got married, she gave me two wedding rings. She said, one to wear to work and one to wear when we go out. I'm locking this one up. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? It's a means of identification. Okay? When we go to a restaurant, or we go to the mall, or we go to an airport, and we see a young man, young woman in uniform, we can tell, oh, that person's in the Navy, that person's in the Army, that person's a Marine, that person's in the Air Force. That uniform is what? A means of identification. Well, this is the means of identification to tell us something happened on the inside of these individuals that they want everybody to know about. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Praise God. So, Pastor Cat, Brian, you guys are ready? Let's see. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> when I used to do baptism, I told them, if the water's not 85 degrees, I am not going in. <laughs> I, would do, I don't want to go in any body of water where I have to gasp when I get in there. So, those of you that are here, these are your family members, friends, coworkers. You're welcome to take pictures. Anybody else in the congregation wants to take all the pictures you want. Just don't get in their way. Okay? Now, let me describe for you, for those of you that might not be familiar with how, what we're doing here. Okay? When these individuals step into this tank. By the way, when you step in, there's a step first, and then it goes down in the middle. So just don't go, Okay? So, Pastor Cap will ask the question, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? They will say, I have, or yes. And at that point, Pastor Cap will say, upon the confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. We cover all the bases. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise God. Why don't you, uh, we're going to sing? Let's sing a little bit. God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now listen up. We all made a declaration of faith not less than 10 minutes ago. I have to believe that there's some of you that did that for the very first time today, at least with an understanding that maybe you didn't have before. I also have to believe that there's some of us in this room that did that and said that prayer as an act of recommitment and rededication. Maybe you have given your life to the Lord years ago and whatever, life gets in the way, things happen, we get distracted, we get off track. And maybe you said that prayer today in your heart as a way of rededicating, recommitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whether you said that prayer for the first time or you said it as an act of rededication, please, before you leave here, would you give us the honor of knowing that you said that prayer today? Would you give us the honor of knowing that today, in your heart, you rededicated your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you can do that before we're dismissed here, those of you that said that prayer for the very first time, those of you that said that prayer to rededicate, would you please come up while everybody else is being dismissed? Just come up here. There are people here that will pray with you. Prayer, can I have the prayer workers on this side, please? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you said that prayer to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, so important that you make this public declaration just like they made a public identification with the death burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on up. Can you come through that side? It might be a little wet, but just step on through there. Nice, right? Anybody else? Now, is there anybody that needs prayer for anything else? Maybe a physical situation, uh, relational situation, financial challenge that you're going through. 
We don't want anybody to leave here today without receiving prayer for whatever they need. If that's you, if you need prayer for something physical in your body, something going on in a relationship, or a physical, excuse me, a financial challenge that you might be experiencing, would you come down this way, on this side here, and we'll pray for you. Everybody's good? Okay. Pastor Beth? Pastor Matt? Praise God. We shouldn't leave and take our burdens back home with us. While we're all together in this atmosphere here, our brothers and sisters who love one another, let's take care of whatever needs you might have at this point in time. Amen. Amen. Well, if you don't have any other needs for prayer, you guys can be dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for being part of the celebration today. If you see those out there that were baptized, make sure you bless them, hug them, give them a handshake. God bless you.